Released on Sunday, April 19th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 81. A narco-syndicalist commune. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. My name's Jason Tice, and um, joining me tonight, we've got a couple of great hosts who are going to share some insights and ideas about agile practices, values, and principles. So, um, uh, hey, um, who's our first celebrity that's out there in Agile land joining us on This Agile Life? Oh, you must be talking about me, right? <laughs> no. no? I, uh, Leon oh. was thinking of someone who you seem to know a lot about, who you've decided to have appear on This Agile Life all the time now. Who is that? <laughs> You're gonna to try to get this, get the, get the, the Amos on, right? No, I was gonna see if if you want to give us a, open your your Pandora's box <laughs> of um of impersonations and give us a new one tonight. Oh no, sorry, I I, I do two per impersonations. Okay, so Lee, I get, I get Elvis and I get Pooh, and you know sometimes Elvis can poo. So if you've missed it recently, <laughs> um, Lee has been our creative soul. He is he shared uh, agile advice as Winnie the Pooh, and he shared agile advice as Elvis the King. So check that out on a few of our recent episodes of This Agile Life. So um, also join us tonight is um uh, is uh, someone else who who else is out there who has a really large beard. Well, I guess that must be me. Uh, I'm Matt Corwell. Uh, I'm out of Seattle, and uh, I'm here to have fun and hang out with you guys. Awesome, Matt. It's great you're here tonight. And of course, Matt, as we talk about your beard, uh, we are rolling video tonight, which we're crossing our fingers is going to cu- is going to turn out great. So if you haven't checked out our video streams that we post on YouTube, <laughs> check that out sometime. We do tweet the links out. So follow us um, on Twitter at This Agile Life. And um, as I mentioned, my name's Jason, Jason Tice, The Agile Factor. But tonight we have another another new thing we decided to try with a little more planning. We have a guest listener who has decided to come on and and Give us some ideas and some things to talk about. So uh, we'd like the guest to um, guess. Could you give us uh, like a, a mysterious introduction of yourself? So maybe listeners out there could guess who you are before we reveal your identity. <laughs> so a completely unknown person is going to give clues that no one will get so I can be guessed. I love it. Well, no, no, come on. I mean, it's April 2015. It's like tax season, right? It is. People steal identities all the time, so that's all they need. So let's let's challenge our listeners. Who is this mystery guest? Who could it be? This is actually John Sextro. Oh my goodness, John Sextro. Well, you know, John can't be John can't be with us now. I think he's in Vegas, so um, uh, that's where he's a uh, he he wants to fill yeah. out some extra tax forms. I think so. I hope he hits it big and has to fill out a ton of forms. So, of course, that is our, that is our special guest this evening. That is uh, that is the one and only Ryan Ripley, who's a great listener of This Agile Life. He's uh, he's actually a good colleague of Amos King, who's also a regular host on This Agile Life. And so, so Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I've, I've filled multiple agile roles across my uh, diverse career. So started as a, as a developer, moved into, made the the crazy leap into management, still do a little scrum master work here and there. But um, but yeah, just a, a life uh, and career long agile lover and now listener and now co-host apparently. So I have my life, my agile life is now complete now that I'm on this agile life. 
Well, Ryan, you you can go out to Twitter and, of course, the interwebs and tell everyone about the experience and all the secret stuff that doesn't go on behind the scenes here that makes this happen. So, uh, but what we thought we would do tonight, this I want to share our, our structure for tonight's episode is really inspired by Amos and some of the ideas we had on episode 80, where we just started asking listeners for ideas, questions, puzzles, and people started responding on Twitter. Ryan was one of those people, and so he has a few things. And so we thought uh, we thought we'd have him join us tonight, and we'll let he we'll let him tee these up, and then I think we'll have lively conversations. So um, so so what do you want to get started with? Yeah, so there's really there's two uh, agile topics that have been really dominating my thoughts lately, and, and the first one that uh, that we teed up and that I think you guys uh, found a little interest in is uh, something. It's a talk actually that I'm going to be giving. Uh, in a few days here, and it's titled "Help the Scrum Master Is the Impediment," and so I think this folds in nicely with uh, John Sextro's "Kill All the Scrum Masters" uh, approach to Agile. But uh, I'm really fascinated by the anti-pattern of a Scrum Master turning into an impediment, and so I'm wondering if you guys have actually seen that on your Agile teams. You know, how did that manifest itself? I've got a few ideas around this, but I'm curious if you guys have seen this and, and how it played out. Well, you know, it would it'd be interesting to define what you mean by impediment, I guess, first, because, you know, I know Amos was was talking recently about how uh, process is necessary until good habits are developed. Right. So some people might say that 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 having having process and not letting things flow from a developer point of view might be an impediment. There might be impediments that, uh, you know, we we can't bring in this agile practice or do this thing. So do we have a, a, an idea of what kind of impediments you're talking about? So I think anything that would stop the team from learning, growing, um, experimenting, or or even uh, gelling or being a cohesive unit, I think those would be the key ones that I'm interested in. So I would assume those things stop them from producing effective quality code then? Absolutely. Okay. Well, another kind of just question I want to ask to figure out my, my response here, um, Ryan, is what do we want to do about people who may call themselves the scrum master, but are completely oblivious to what the role actually is. You know, the, the, the people who are really, they say they're the scrum master on the team, but they're acting like a project manager. They're micromanaging the team. They're assigning work. Um, and they're really, they're really not even respecting the way the role was designed. Are we considering them like one of the things you have here is as a dictator, or are we simply considering that not relevant for this conversation? I'm actually considering uh, those people an impediment. And okay. So if you okay. take uh, you take the CSM who comes back and acts like a PMP, that's certainly an imp- an impediment. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so we can talk about that then. So, but let's let Lee get in here. Lee, I, I can imagine you you got a few things to say here. Actually, I want to see where this goes before I jump in on it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Lee's ready to pounce tonight like a tiger. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll start with what I said, um, and that is I see a lot of people that really struggle with, you know, they'll go, they'll take the two day CSM workshop, they'll they'll pass the test. And then they where those workshops go short is, I mean, they're great. They're fun. I mean, I know people that do great, great scrum master training and, and it's fun, but it's hard to teach people how to be a servant leader, which is really a mindset about serving the people on the team in two days. And I mean, that's something that really takes a lot longer. And some have even said you have to be bored with that, that that really desire to serve people and to say that, listen, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to say we have a system where we set a goal collectively. 
I'm going to trust that you're going to work on that. And then I'm going to listen for things I can do to help you. Well, to also I, the, the whole concept of I'm going to train you to be this expert that people are going to use and come to for answers. And yet I don't want you to actually give them answers. I want you to, to try to facilitate them being able to find the answers on their own, being able to empower them to be better uh, with uh, that kind of goes against all of, of what this kind of leadership kind of a thing uh, lay, is, is laid out to be. And so that's, think, that's kind of a tough, tough combination. I think that's really, uh, that's a great point. And it shows the, the, the one dimensional nature of a CSM class, right? So you come out of that two day course, you know, the mechanics of scrum inc- incredibly well, but you have no clue how to be a coach. You have no clue how to be a facilitator. You have no clue how to speak to management. You know, you're not really equipped, uh, to, you know, empower the team. What does that mean? Uh, if you're a two-day CSM who now knows the mechanics of Scrum, right? Yeah, yeah. And moreover, where, what I see, which is a problem really all over, all over everywhere. I mean, it's East Coast, West Coast, is people take the two-day workshop and really leadership or IT leadership then says, okay, team, go off and self-manage with your Scrum Master. And what they, what IT leadership needs to understand is that Scrum Master needs to be empowered and have support to identify impediments, some of which are going to be external to the team. And that scrum master that is going to need help to solve those problems. And so something that I see a lot is where scrum masters are trying to do that. But a lot of times the rest of the ecosystem around that team to enable delivery hasn't been coached on it really. Okay. Now you got a scrum master. How do you align that with what you're actually doing to build value? Yeah, that's really the huge uh, agile transformation que- uh, question, right? So you want a, a group of developers with a with an empowered Scrum master and a and a co-located and, and partnering product owner uh, to come up with things quickly to deliver quickly. However, your security team is still taking thirty days to do an audit. Your infrastructure team is still on a on a thirty day cycle to get servers up and running. Uh, your financial group can't get a budget done in less than a month. Uh, you know, management doesn't understand that they're not going to get a 10 page written up estimate anymore. So you, you're absolutely right. You have all these external things that a scrum master from a two day class has no idea how to deal with. And yet they're responsible for that new, that new capturing value proposition well, from well, that. Well, actually, to be fair, I think that in having, I mean, have, I, I, I will confess I have taken this, I have taken a scrum master course, as some people know. I can take out my card. Lee loves this. I won't do it tonight. But but nonetheless, there's there's a lot of great learning that occurs in those workshops. So I, I don't want us to 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 um, discount that. So but what we're saying is a scrum master then needs to go back into an ecosystem that can support that idea of self-management. And so, I mean, I see scrum masters who are motivated to do the job the way it was designed and they they hit a wall because, you know, if anything, they're trying to. I want to say they're trying to do the job the right way, but then they, they reach where they run out of influence and power and they need right. help, but there's no one there to help them. So is that, Brian, is that, that sounds like a similar but separate thing from kind of what you, at least what I heard you say originally, right? So a scrum master who wants to do the right thing, but either lacks the knowledge or the support is different from a scrum master who's an impediment, who's not doing a, a, a 
good job, and I use that word loosely, of being a scrum master? Are those two separate categories of, of things that are, are problematic? Yeah, so that, it's definitely two different two different topics there. You know, the one is they're doing the right things and they don't, you know, as Jason was saying, have the influence to, to press on. You know, the, the impediment angle is really more of this person is doing things that they don't even get to that wall. You know, they're not even getting to that high, high performing, high, high value producing level because of their own actions. So someone who's playing agile Mad Libs and calling it Scrum Master. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of it's funny. I'm, so well, to be fair, uh, Ryan actually gave us a great little outline for kind of his talk here that we're talking through here. And if I can share it, Ryan, you know, your four, your four big types, I think I can summarize them as I think a Twitter message. Want, sure. me to, want me to run them down? So, so here are the four impediments that Ryan kind of, I, I guess, has identified. And I think these are great. There's, there's the dictator, which is the scrub master who you go to stand up and the scrub master assigns the stories to team members. Have we all seen that? Yep. And what's bad about that? Don't you love the way uh, Jason has a tendency to put people on the spot? <laughs> Well, I clearly what's bad about that is it's taking away the self-managing of the work, right? The scrum team has the the right to decide what they're going to work on and how they're going to implement it. Yeah, the, the biggest one I would see is that it, it could become an impediment to learning into the whole team approach because if a team's being effective, hey, I'm going to go to work and hey, you know, hopefully I'm motivated. I say, you know, I want to learn something today. So here's that gnarly story that means i have to touch our active directory endpoint there's just something i have never done before but lee has and so guess what lee you and i are going to self-organize and we're going to figure that out and we're just going to go do that and we don't need scrum master person to show up and tell us to do that so in that case i think if the scrum master is assigning work to people and, and we all again we all have seen this out there at least i have that's that 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 brings pain on the team and it sub optimizes the team based upon the knowledge of the scrum master. And, and every time, every time a, a scrum master or a manager does that, they, they rob the team of not just some of their autonomy, but some of their confidence. And, and quite honestly, I, I've never seen a situation where one person was smarter than the group. And so allowing the team to actually take a piece of work, you know, if you have to deal with active directory, the more heads in it, the better, uh, and allow them to actually break that down, sort it out, pair off and get the work done. Yeah, I think that's right. And like, like as we were talking about conferences before I, I was at mile high agile back in early April and they had uh, they had Rod Collins as a keynote. He's the, the guy who wrote the book wiki management. And that whole book is about collective intelligence and how, you know, leveraging the intelligence of everyone and allowing people to do that in a self-managing organic fashion, which if you're if you're delegating work, you can't do that. So um, so anything, anything else about the dictator that we kind of haven't hit on? You know, I've even seen it, you know, show up in uh, when a team wants to use a certain tool and, and the scrum master says, no, we're going to stick with the three by five cards because that's what the book says or. <laughs> The black or, book or the red book? Right. I think it's the black book. <laughs> the black but, book. Or okay. even even mandating a user story format or all these things that uh, are, are trivial yet uh, can really be damaging. So, But I think we have covered the dictator. The superhero. Oh, I want uh, to talk about that one next. <laughs> this is my favorite. I, I think oh, yeah. this is wonderful. And it has a very distinct smell to it. And by smell, I mean uh, it has a tell, right? So when you see people 
asking the scrum master, am I doing this right? That person is potentially being the superhero. And I think, Jason, you're going to jump on that. I'm going to say that's not the scrum master. That's always the, you know, who shows up with the, with the, uh, the, the, the marker and starts drawing who, who that, who that person typically is. Sometimes that's the, the architect that's kind of, tangent. <laughs> yeah, you're all laughing because that, that's the one we know is so true. But, and again, it's funny is a lot of the elements of servant leadership that we, that they teach for scrum masters that we're talking about here. If you're an architect, I've worked with people to say, apply the same tactics, go and ask teams for their challenges. And if anything, that's how you figure out what to put on your architecture runway. Think about instead of sitting by yourself and architecting a solution, ask people what they need help with and you'll, you'll do better work. It'll be more fun. I guarantee it. But, but back to the superheroes. So uh, Lee, what did you think when you saw that in Ryan's notes here? So I, I love the comment of that this is a smell because immediately I think back on the tick and the smell of justice. And <laughs> I, I think, I think that uh, this kind of a, this kind of a mentality is one of those things that it's usually somebody that, that has a high regard for themselves and uh, <laughs> wants to, wants to demonstrate that to everybody else. Um, and is the opposite of being able to empower other people. In, in a lot of cases, the, the superhero is once again robbing everybody else of the opportunity to be great. So you could say maybe the superhero is a charismatic and friendly dictator. <laughs> they are. And, and, and really, to me, the thing I want to emphasize about that is that goes back to, I guess, one of, the, one of our prior threads on this discussion that is that leadership needs to understand that sometimes the the leadership in an organization they they embrace a hero mentality and they want that person who's going to be a superhero and they almost incentivize that by you know by sounding the trumpet when someone steps up and you know hits a home run and that's not if that's if that's the culture of an organization You're that, to fail. well it goes against the grade of what works for agile teams and so Agile teams need to be incentive at the team level. And so it, it needs to be an incentive scheme where everyone is, is incentivized to work together to solve hard problems and not where we reward the star performers. And so we actually think, touched on, go ahead, Matt. I, I was going to say, I think if, if you haven't done it already, cause I'm not going to pretend I've, I've listened to every episode. Um, there'd probably be a whole show on how to get out of that superhero culture and how to get management to incentivize at the team level, because I've found that the only way to stop that is to let the superhero fail. And like when the when when stuff finally falls down and the superhero can't hold it up, then people pay attention. And that's kind of a bad way to go about it. Yeah. And the other thing actually I'll share, you know, I got a real life story going on that I can share is um, I, if you're a coach, you should test for this. So, you know, and, and right now it, it's we're kind of coming up into the summer of 2015. It's it's April right now. But. You know, summer vacation, this is an opportunity that I want everyone out there to understand is that when people go on a vacation, this is an awesome opportunity to test the whole team approach. Because ideally, any person on a team, you know, whether you're a dev or maybe in this case, you're the scrum master and you go on your vacation down to the beach or whatever you do for fun, things should continue and there shouldn't be a big problem. Um, Great example, real life this week, 
John's out. I think he's in Vegas or something, you know, but hey, we're carrying out. We're doing the podcast. You know, this is a self-sustaining, self-organizing event that that's really kind of a, a good example that your team should be like that. So as we as the summer approaches, think about when people leave and see what breaks and talk about it. Make make people feel the pain and they will find a way around it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd say the other thing about the superhero is it's it's interesting. Lee, I'm going to I'm going to ask you if you don't mind sharing, because I know you've talked about how, as Craig mentions on, on this Agile Life, you're in kind of that unique agile practitioner role that to use Craig's terminology or I know others kind of call this practice mentoring where, you know, you're working with a team, you're coaching them on technical practices, but you're also helping them build their product. So obviously a challenge here, if something really bad happens and you know what to do, you could come in and say, you know what? Oh man, we messed that story up bad on Friday. We got to demo it on Monday. We can't change it. I'm going to work the whole freaking weekend and solve the problem. And, and knowing you, Lee, you probably wouldn't even say anything about it, but trust me, there'd be people that'd be like sending emails to the president of the company. I worked all weekend to save the problem. It's awesome. What do you well, do? What do you do to prevent that? Like personally, how do you manage that so you don't you don't jump in there and take over to salt to save the day? So, well, first off, you got to take a deep breath when you see that kind of stuff, and you and you kind of got to close your mental eyes for a for a moment and uh, and realize that life will go on if that feature is not in the demo or it fails in the demo there will still be the day after the demo. So, so don't worry about it. Let it fail. Let it, just let it happen. Um, as far as on a day-to-day basis, how do you try to avoid stuff like that? Uh, at least for me, um, like for example, if you're doing a code review and you see something that you know is, oh, oh crap, um, you don't go in and change it. You go and say, hey, can we pair on on reviewing this code? Or maybe switch pairs, because you're probably at a pair anyway. But switch pairs with, with one of the people that, uh, that wrote it. And, uh, it. and let's be honest, you can tell who it was that wrote the code, uh, <laughs> most likely. You probably know that person's uh, code language. Um, and, and just kind of, hey, let's, let's pair on this, and then ask questions. Don't say this is wrong. Don't say... Hey, there's this is going to cause X. Just ask questions until until you get them to realize that whatever it is they did is is uh, is not the best way to do it, or uh, or that it could cause a problem. It's kind of the Socratic method, and it takes a hell of a lot longer, um, and sometimes it fails, but more often than not, it works. You know, it, it, he also. You know, Lee, you just made me think of, you know, one of the the biggest problems that this anti-pattern causes, and I think that's a withdrawn team. So if you have a this hero coder, this hero scrum master, you know, basically hero culture in, in an environment where you're supposed to value whole team, all of a sudden people will withdraw. You know, you have this one person dominating and leading, and then their problems also withdraw with them. And so now everything's hidden. You've lost transparency. And then, boom, you have these blowups at the last minute and the need for the hero. So I wonder if this is really the system feeding itself. And, uh, you know, it's back to Jason's point about the incentivizing the hero. And really, if at the root of this particular anti-pattern is the system rather than the people. 
Yeah, and it's funny the thing I'll offer, and Ryan, we were talking about before we before we started rolling the show tonight that uh, you know you're doing your your event coming up in Indianapolis, and you said you want to come to this Agile Life event. So I have a game all about incentives that I'll share. It's never been played in the Midwest. It's been played on like the West Coast, down in Florida, but it's never rolled in the Midwest, which I think is strange. Uh, I've talked about actually doing it in, in my organization. It's just one of those things I, I need to get around to it. But we should uh, figure out how to do an event or something and uh, and do this game. It's called, um, it's got two names. It's called um, uh, Principle 5, you know, or I call it Incentivize Us Properly, Please, IUPP. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's a card game. So it's like you're playing poker with incentives and it forces you to deal your hand as to what would actually most incentivize you as a member of the team. And so it's intended to empower a team to have a conversation with leadership about, hey, leadership, you might need to think about those things that they taught you in business school that may not may have been disproven by modern research. And here's a better way you could probably incentivize us to work as a team that at the end of the day would probably cost you less than what you think you might be investing in incentives. So we should figure out a way to do that sometime. But the... um. So let me ask you this, Ryan, a question about your topic here about the superhero. I think I see this happen. How does this work with the kind of the interplay between the product owner who's advocating sometimes in the interest of the business and the scrum master who's advocating to serve the team? And you get to that day before the demo. We have the oh my goodness problem scenario where, hey, that feature that the customer said is really important is not going to get done. We are not going to show it tomorrow. Product owner goes to the scrum master and says, you better show it tomorrow or else there'll be... And the scrum master says, "Eh, I don't know what to do. And then, you know, and then the scrum master caves and and then someone has to burn the midnight oil. I mean, that... Am I the only person that sees that? Because that happens a lot. And what do you people do? How do... What's wrong with that scenario? It's like, like Lee said, I mean, I, I hate to just repeat it, but let it go. You know, like you've got to have the, the courage and, and, and the common sense to, to just go, you know what, if it, if it was that important, we would have prioritized it earlier or some other thing would have happened. And if it's not going to be in tomorrow's demo, it's not going to be in tomorrow's demo. You know, I mean, I, maybe it's not a valid option for everybody, but it, I, I, I think it, it's the most commonsensical one. Well, well, Matt, could you help us? Could you talk us through this? So again, I'm this product owner. I'm going to my scrum master and I'm saying, guys, if we don't demo this tomorrow, you don't understand. The business is going to the business is going to let us all have it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. So we need to get that done. Sorry. Uh, my, my first question would be, well, help me understand how we got to this last minute where it's that important and kind of try and walk back through the trail of determining if it is really as important as you say, because if, if it is, we should have talked about it earlier in the iteration. There should have been more advanced warning. What, what, what failed get to what failed so we can, you know, uh, figure out who has to blame. I don't know. Yeah. But none of those, none of those, the the answers to those questions do not get the business off your back. And that, uh, that's where the PO will come right back at you. And I think it's a matter of character in the scrum master. You know, ultimately, you have to make a decision. Are you are you there to be the hero to the PO, or are you or are you there to serve your team? And uh, sometimes the 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 scrum master who serves the team ends up a dead scrum master. But that's that's part of the profession. We you know we that's part of the risk you take. I, I really believe that a principled approach here is is what will get you through it, though. 
So one of the things that we often will will come back with when and Jason in the in the specific kind of narrowly focused example you gave this may not fit but the trade off is okay you can have this other thing what do you want to take out right so like that's 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 one way to to deal with it I mean if it is the scenario where it really is it's already the midnight oil and there's just no other hope like then then maybe we're just screwed but you know reasonable like okay we have a demo in two days and we're going to finish features X, but now we want feature Y. Well, the product owner has to be the one to make that decision, right? That's not the, the scrum master's job, is it? Well, to me, it's collaborative because, you know, if you want to renegotiate scope of, especially if you're doing scrum, you want to renegotiate scope of a sprint mid sprint. Number one, you're already breaking a bunch of the rules in the black book, but nonetheless, we know it happens. It's, you need to consult the team. So I, I think they're, there's a lot of what I want to call where maybe product owners and uh, I mean, we've got to tell the story of what happened this, this, this evening before we started the podcast where I was a bad scrum master and um, Matt, Matt was kind of we're getting ready to join us. And I, I guessed how long it would take Matt to join us without any knowledge <laughs> and uh, everyone's laughing. But again, I, I did that. And it's, it, I think a lot of product owners and, and scrum masters fall victim to kind of going over in the corner kind of make it a deal without necessarily consulting the team enough. And in that case, they inflict pain on the team. And I think at that point, scrum masters might get a little confused. Like, oh my gosh, I just signed the team up to do this and I feel really bad. So you know what? I'm going to help them because I was part of the problem. And at that point, they promote bad practice because they, they help to increase the team's capacity to do work because they effectively join the team. And the problem is that then inflates your velocity. So the business becomes used to saying, oh, if I crank the screws down, I can get more work out of them. Yeah, which which promotes a non-sustainable pace. So I think we also need uh, more emphasis on the Scrum values, though. If you're going to do Scrum, you really need to teach your teams about openness, you know, commitment, courage, uh, focus, and respect, right? So those are the five that come through. So you need, and that, I think that, that empowers your team members to pull that emergency break and say, now, wait a minute, you're hurting the team. And I respect you enough to be open with you about that. And that deal you made was wrong. Now we can look at this feature that the PO is going nuts about, and maybe we can get it down to that minimally viable uh, product kind of mentality with it. You know, we can't get the whole thing, but we're going to demonstrate half and that's going to be okay. But your commitment hurt us and we need to walk that back. And I really love it when teams get to that level to when they can actually have that kind of conversation with their scrum master. Yeah. And I think just something to kind of emphasize on that. And, the, and of course, well, it's funny. I think this was the Twitter, the Twitter discussion that has become long winded. The um, a key thing I know I teach people is that the team is inclusive of the product owner and even the customer, the business. And so, and so Ryan, as you're emphasizing aligning to those core values of scrum that includes the product owner and that also includes the customer. And so everyone needs to agree together. And again, there, there should be no secret deals in the back room that are made without consulting the people who have the relevant information to decide what to do. And so if you're in that role, again, our ask for you is to, I mean, simply stop that. And instead of, instead of doing that, ask yourself, what else could you do? So yeah, I could go in the back room and talk to the product owner and make a secret deal. We're telling you don't do that. So Think about something else then that where you're serving the team better. Yeah. And that kind of leads into, you know, the next anti-pattern, the inflicting help. Oh. And this is one that, um, 
you know, I and and Jason, I'll own up to it. I've also been to a Scrum Master class, and I have Alphabet Soup at the end of my name as well. Oh, and uh, yeah, even you know, way too many to go into, but it's okay. Um, but what really, when this lesson hit home for me, and keep in mind, I I came up with this talk because I have failed in all of these areas at one time or another, right? So this isn't me calling down judgment on on CSMs or PSMs. This is me saying, I totally screwed this up, and I hope I can help one Scrum Master avoid these. Um, no, but inflicting... Go ahead. I was going to say you have a fan here, because uh, having worked, having had the privilege of working with Lee for, uh, what, about seven years now... Lee can keep me honest. I think Lee's seen, uh, Lee, you've seen me do some of these uh, in various capacities as well, I think. Right, Lee? A couple of times. Oh, it's out there. It's out there. We could ask around now, so. And and the same could be said the other way around, so. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, this inflicting help when you're talking about here, right, is interesting, because that's, I know we've talked about it on the podcast here. That's like when the Agile Fairy shows up and sprinkles Agile dust and gives you all these neat ideas, isn't it? Like, oh, you should do... You should do test-driven development because it's the <laughs> best thing ever. Oh, and maybe we should try some naked planning. Oh, yes, we don't need to do planning. We could just take our clothes off and do that, you know? Um, and I think that that could be confusing. So what is the role of the Scrum Master then who may have more experience because they've been around, they've worked with different teams or different companies? What is their role then to provide some consultative advice to help a team get ideas about how they can improve? So I, I think that these are all a scrum master in this role, a lot of years of experience, a lot of good information, so on and so forth. The one trick, uh, and this is after being around a lot of great coaches, you know, you go to these agile coach camp and these open space events and you start running in these circles with, you know, amazing people. They ask for permission uh, to help you. And that's something that had a huge impact on me. You know, I, I'm thinking of guys like, you know, the George Dinwiddie's, the Don Gray's, the the Diane Larson's of the world, where they'll come up and they have a great idea for you. But before they give you that idea, they say, can I help you? And if you say no, they move on. But if you say yes, you get this amazing influx of ideas and and critiques uh, and guidance that uh, all of a sudden becomes even more impactful because you invited it in. And I, I think that one tip you know, how do you stop from being a fountain of inflicting help? I think you just ask for permission. I would say that there's also one other trick that uh, the scrum masters and the coaches that I know, a lot of them need to learn this. And that is um, pick, pick one, just pick your top thing, whatever you think is going to have the biggest impact. Start with that. Don't give me 12 things. Just pick one. Or for fun, Lee, give them 12, but say, let's pick one first. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I think I think even giving them, you know how, uh, this is an old marketing thing. You know this, Jason. You don't, you, you don't put on the shelves uh, 12,000 different choices, right? The, the, the optimum amount of choices is three to four. Uh, you know this with your kids, right? You don't. When you're saying, hey, what do you want to wear in the mornings? You don't say go dress yourself, you know, to a four-year-old. You say you have option number one or option number two. Which one do you want? Right? If you're going to give options. Exactly. Um, if you're going to give options, make them reasonable options. But, but you know, don't give them too many. You, you got you to well, give. 
you got to make it a a reasonable choice. Or for for anyone who has kids out there, I think the better metaphor is to think about the different ways you can dress your kids and what gives you the fastest delivery time. Because, yes, I could go tell my five-year-old to say, you know what? Go in your dresser and pick out anything you want. Will we be successful, guys? Depends on if you're willing to let them go out in public and whatever they choose. We will be (laughs) successful, but what do you think our delivery time for that is? I will say highly variable and overall longer than it has to be. Whereas, so great. Okay, awesome. And, you know, I think sometimes on a team or the nature of your project, that actually may be a really good thing you want to encourage. Because it's, trust me, she's, she could go learn and do a bunch of stuff, probably play a bunch of games in her room as she's getting dressed. So she'll be off task, you know, which is like a team gold plating something while they should be learning something new, but they're not doing it. But nonetheless, she's, she's doing her own thing. Versus saying, here's the two things, you have to pick one of them. Guess what? We'll get done real quick, but all of that other learning that she she could have enjoyed otherwise, it has been has not been allowed. So think about- I still I still think there's an optimum way to do that. That uh you can still give give kids and developers for that matter, give people the uh uh the same or an optimum amount of learning without going too far into the, well, let's just take forever to do it. All right, so coming soon to an open space or Agile conference somewhere near you, Lee McCauley is going to present Agile Parenting as Elvis Presley. (laughs) (laughs) I want to co-present that with you, Lee. That would be an awesome talk. We'd be the colonel? Yeah, and then we're going to go to like, we're going to go to like health conferences. We'll go to Agile conferences, but then like from people I know in the yoga world, we'll go to health conferences and present there too. So anyways. So so. one one thing about picking versus letting the team choose, um, you know, it's it's probably implicit, but, you know, asking questions and finding out what the team is feeling the most pain from uh, is probably a good way to help narrow down what what practices you, you would drive in first and you would bring in first. I mean, I, I assume it goes without stating, but maybe not. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's a key thing. And, and to me, this is one of those servant leadership things that you don't, it, unless put it this way, there are people that I think based upon what they do in their personalities, they probably walk into a two day scrum master class with this already in their behavior. But again, this idea of how do you build rapport? How do you get a group of effectively strangers to trust you to whereby you can give good advice that they see how it might provide value and they trust you they trust you enough to listen i think a lot of a lot of scrum masters that i work with and that i've i've helped helped them to improve is to encourage them to especially if they've just been trained to say yes you just learned the black book you learned all this great stuff just like we said pick one thing don't don't get trigger happy and try to boom 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 you know shoot them all out there because then it gets confusing and it's overwhelming to people especially if I mean, if you're doing a new team, maybe that's different. But if you're like coaching an existing team that's trying to build a product and get stuff out the door for their business, you got to be, again, really keep focused on delivery. So make small incremental changes. So I, I think we've uh, we've talked about the Agile Fairy here. And so we need to be careful on um, inflicting help. And so the last one is interesting, especially with Matt here. So Ryan, could you tell us about what you think the technical expert is? Yeah, so this is the the scrum master that knows best when it comes to uh, to writing code, and uh, it, it's a blatant uh, violation of the role. You know, first and foremost, the scrum master is not a technical uh, position at all. Um, but they they come from a technical background. They've either been promoted 
Uh, they've excelled in one area, so they've moved on to another, but they still haven't let go of their past technical role and, and their past technical skills. And, and they impose their, their either architectural or, or coding prowess on the team. Okay. But what about this? I'm in an organization. I have, business, I have very aggressive business objectives. I need to ship product frequently, like weekly. And so to ensure, and I, I don't always trust that my teams are going to make the best technical decisions. So I have seen organizations that have a, like they'll have a role called a tech lead that's on the team also. And that tech lead may or may not be the scrum master, but they, they have some, I want to say, authority to make decisions about what to do technically. Is that a good thing or a bad, or what, what do, again, I know people in real life who have that as, as reality. What do we have to say about that pattern? Yeah, I think it's a real pattern. I mean, it, it's something that, uh, that happens on a lot of teams. If it's going to be there, I'd rather see the tech lead pairing with the junior members uh, as often as possible. You know, let's, let's disseminate that knowledge. Let's get those good practices into as many heads as possible so that uh, such a, a position is not needed in the future. You know, grow your team to where such, um, such, such crutches can be dropped off and the team can grow and, and move forward. But uh, I don't think it's necessarily bad as long as you view it in that, in that kind of vein. But if this is a permanent thing because you just don't trust other people, um, clearly not good. So, so this is uh, this is a position that I've held on a couple of teams. Oh, Lee is an offender. Oh, so I am an wait, offender. Wait a second. Yes. I thought, wait a second. Is this confession you coming to me? Because I thought John told me I have to go to confession with you. <laughs> no, no. Ryan, Ryan, remember we talked about agile confessions on a prior episode? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so hello, Lee. Welcome, yeah. welcome to confession. So, uh, tell us about. I, I'm, uh, I uh, I have sinned. Um, oh, do tell no. us the. Uh, so the the problem with with the the tech lead positions. I think Ryan is absolutely right on on what that uh, should be. And to be honest, I, I kind of balk a little bit at the whole idea of of naming. A person for that role. Now that doesn't mean that you can't seed a team. If you're if you're the the CTO and you have to you have to create this team for a project, that doesn't mean you can't seed that team with people that you think will play that role. And but do it in a way that is um, that's not uh, that's not dictatorial, right? I wonder if the team should vote in their own tech lead. There shouldn't. I don't think there should even be somebody. They shouldn't even imagine that that is a title or there or a role. They should just self manage, and know that you have enough people on that team that have enough technical knowledge that they can make good decisions. Right. So what do you do with the trust factor? Right. So you have um, either management or a scrum master who's lacking trust. I mean, besides, well, there's you your know, key, the, right? Right. So besides taking the scrum master out back and beating him till he trusts him, you know, what do you do to uh, to deal with that? I like that option personally. <laughs> the beating them. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other the other one that I've seen just related to this because I've seen this pattern, all types of variations of it is where like like the tech lead does all the spikes 
like so the tech lead does all the learning on behalf of the team so they, they effectively have like their own they literally have will have a lane on the board that says spike and that's the lane that they work in all the time so they go do all the architecture i want to say the things where people learn a lot because the work is a lot less structured and then they come back and they basically tell the team what to do and that's I, i'm actually probably going to say thinking about it that's a local optimization it's probably going to let you get things done faster but long term you're going to have a person who is an expert in in the tech stack and the you know the the dev patterns the teams using and you're gonna have a bunch of other people that just follow commands that are issued to them and don't really understand what they're doing but they can crank out a lot of code you can ship a lot of product and this is going right back to what uh, what we were talking about before with the superhero mentality for a team you end up mm-hmm. with that mentality which means that the rest of the team is scared to act yep so i i think that that knowledge silos that 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 tribal knowledge is built into, into the tech lead's head because I've I've served as as a tech lead on on a number of teams and and I think um, so it's interestingly to hear you guys say um, that that we wouldn't have the the titles at all which I I, I think is a, a great thing I think how do you balance so so Ryan you mentioned the pairing right I'm Absolutely for, uh, I, I said even today in work, well, we pair the senior guy with the junior guy, right? That's how we, we transfer knowledge. That's how we build skills. That's great. Um, how do you address it on, on so on the level where, where if you have uh, a team, say, with an overwhelming number of junior people, if you're mismatched with a junior and senior, right, and there's not enough people to, to share, um, how do you do that? Is there not a, a, a mentor role or a, a tech tech like are we are we ignoring the truth of what is if one person does have a knowledge silo and the other team should be able to utilize that well we work to empty that silo and share it to everyone else do we yeah and, and it's just aggressive pairing i i think if you have a, a junior team and one knowledge silo that person has to be switching partners you know every half hour hour you know moving around getting with these different people you know, it's brown bag time for lunches, get them in a room with a projector, get code on the screen. I mean, you, this is a serious impediment to a team's growth. Uh, and the scrum master should be asking the team regularly, are you, t- you know, what, I don't want to get into the T-shaped person debate, but, um, you know, do we have the skills to deliver this work? If we don't, how do we get there and have the team constantly evaluate that, address that and figure out the path to get there? It sounds like a perfect opportunity for uh, what Woody Zool would push as mob programming, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but the thing about that, and, and again, knowing a few people that, that do advocate for this, I want to say this tech leadership pattern, one of the things they cite is, again, they're concerned about the loss of efficiency by the team, I want to say thrashing, or the team, the team taking too long to come to consensus on a decision that one person could make a lot faster. And that, so they they... they put this role in place to say, you know what, this person is going to keep things going. I'm going to try to have that person collaborate and reach consensus. But if they can't reach consensus quickly, guess what? Boom, they're empowered to make the decision. An interesting thing I'd throw out there, you guys tell me if you think this would work or not. What if instead of making that a like a person who it, that is part of their, that's their special job, that's a role that is shared on the team and it changes weekly or something. So 
This week, Lee's kind of the, I'm going to call you the arbitrator. So you're going to facilitate this technology discussions and maybe you can have some dumb rules that like, you know, if, we, if we've been talking about a spike for over an hour and a turnaround, I can call it. But next week, that's going to move over to Matt. And we're going to, we're literally going to challenge everyone on the team to have that role sometime to let them learn some facilitation and some leadership skills. Good idea, bad idea. I've tried to coach this. I've met some resistance coaching it. I mean, what do you guys think? It it comes down to trust in the team. And like my, my gut reaction, um, whether it's right or wrong, is like, so we're going to have good decisions one week and bad decisions another week. And we're going to have all these fragmented, um, half-started things that, that, you know, this week I'm the arbitrator, so we're using and hibernate. And next week I'm the arbitrator, so we're using well, any no, no, framework. Well, no, we no. have to trust people to make reasonable decisions. Yeah, yeah. And I think, Matt, you're, you're, you're kind of jumping to what, what I, what I want to make sure we don't do, which is where this arbitrator is intended to be a facilitator. So right. again, going back to the Scrum Master, so they should only make a decision on behalf of the team as a last resort, and I would hope that they're going to facilitate some collaborative activities, you know, vote back and forth, try to reach consensus. If you don't get consensus, guess what? Fine. Let's talk about it for another five minutes. Then guess what? Let's vote again. Do we have a consensus or a majority? No? Okay. This time, three minutes, and we'll try to get to where we all agree. And facilitate that so the team is making decisions quickly, but they're doing it as a team. You know, Jason, here's a tangent alert, but is this a sign that perhaps they're making too big of a decision or perhaps the story hasn't been sliced enough? Usually. It it means, I think it means uh, it's that smell that um, we don't have enough information to make this decision yet. We are trying to plan before it is the last responsible moment. So maybe it's this is this is a side effect of the anti pattern of a tech, of a technical scrum master who makes decisions for the team is that they stop slicing, you know, they stop um, stop trying to make small decisions. They they start accepting medium to large size decisions, and this just spirals out of control. Yeah. Well, well, Ryan, something I want to ask you to clarify because having met a bunch of our listeners all over the place, I know scrum masters who and we've talked about this before. I'd love to get your opinion. They're not technical, you know, so the the classic, I want to say, business analyst person who goes and takes the CSM course and ultimately becomes a scrum master because they, they, they understand IT, but they're not a dev. So I, I think I heard you mention before you said that you viewed a lot of times scrum masters come out of a development role and they kind of become more of a leader or manager. What do you have to say for people who may be a scrum master who don't have a technical background? I, I say more power to them. I, I don't think that there's a single path to Rome, right? So I, I've seen scenarios where project managers have made the jump to a CSM and, and have done fantastically well. I've seen developers, former managers. Um, I really think the personality is more important. Can the person embrace a servant attitude? A, you know, Is that servant leadership prevalent in their thoughts? Can, are you introspective? Can you look at a bad interaction with your team, figure out the root cause of what you did to cause it, and, and then correct it? You know, if those qualities are in place, I, I don't think the technical background is important at all. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly, and that's where I just want to make sure if you are a listener and you know you're not a, you're not an engineer, but you're a scrum master or you're working with the team in any capacity, 
you do add value to that team. And so don't let that stand in the way. And if anything, if you're not an engineer, I guarantee that you're probably going to have a different perspective on some of the engineering problems that it would be really valuable to have you in the room with the engineering staff as they're working through some tough issues, because trust me, you'll be able to inject something that will help move the ball forward. I, I just want to throw out that, that Ryan, I, I really like what you're cooking up over there um, because I, I feel like as I, so like I said, having served as a tech lead role many times, um, I, I felt a little, little defensive about this when we first started talking about it and everything I've run back through in my head, well, who's going to do the code reviews or who's going to do this? Like everything that, that was a, a, a job of the tech lead is some kind of smell um, that, that you're, like you said, not slicing the stories right or have a mismatch responsibilities or some other thing. And so I, I feel like uh, in that short little time span, you, you convinced me. Oh, that's great. So as we um as we've kind of taken Ryan's first topic he had tonight, I'll share he had another one that in typical this agile life fashion, we uh we overcommitted. We're not gonna get to Ryan's second topic tonight. So Ryan, we'll have to have you back sometime. And because this was fun and or we'll figure out a way to do a live event together. But let's let's go around around the uh the Skype call here. What did we get out of this? I mean, what was the takeaway? And uh, uh anyone can go first. What'd you get so, out of this? So what I got out of it is that we should we should organize our teams into anarcho-syndicalist communes. Um, we take turns to be sort of an executive officer for the week, but all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special <laughs> bi-weekly meeting by a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs, but by a two-thirds majority in the case of... Wait, I think we had that in... Uh, in what was that? Monty Python's Holy Grail? <laughs> and for those that are not aware, Lee is working on publishing a 232-page uh, governance manual about how exactly that whole process works that we will be <laughs> we will be presenting on the next episode of This Agile Life. So, Okay, so that's what Lee got. So Lee got the simple, don't do that. <laughs> right. Don't do that. So what you got, I, Matt? I, I took away that... that um, I'm guilty of all four of those those things at times, and I need to be less of a dictator and um, uh, more more of the anarcho syndicalist commune. <laughs> uh, so I, I think we're doing around around the room confessions here because as <laughs> as Lee already mentioned, well, Lee and I are both mutually guilty. We've called each other's foul here. We're like playing basketball. Here's what I want to mention for the scrum masters out there, which is important. I want everyone to hear from what. Lee, Matt, and myself are saying, guess what? We did some of these things, and you know what? We learned from them. So don't be afraid to to do this. So we hope you take what we've said tonight and you learn from it. But at the same time, again, it's okay to try and experiment. Maybe it doesn't go as well. Guess what? Like we're saying here, you're going to learn. It's going to help you improve. So my other takeaway, um, as we were uh, talking about this here, is all I kept thinking about was was systems thinking really from, from lean and saying that you've got to, you've got to look at the whole system. So if you're a scrum master, you know, you're just kind of like a screw and you've got to make sure that you can have a, you know, a, um, a bolt that you can, or sorry, they're more like a nut and you've got a bolt that you can thread onto the nut. So we talked about a lot of things tonight where the scrum master needs support from the organization they are working in for the, for the team to be successful 
So you need to make sure if you're a scrum master that you have that support so you can serve the team. So Ryan, since this was your topic, you could you could take all of the great, wonderful bits that we've now blasted onto the internet, <laughs> as, e like, as Lee likes to say, and summarize it for all of our listeners in terms of the value that you hope people got out of our conversation. Yeah, I, I think the biggest takeaway, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, we've all made these mistakes, right? So this isn't a judgment call against anyone. This is a, I myself have made these mistakes. I wanted to talk about these mistakes with with the with this agile life and and of course they've also said that they've made these mistakes too so the takeaway is you know we're all susceptible to these be open to them own it when it happens apologize to your team quickly and, and just move on and uh treat it as a small experiment that went wrong as jason said and uh go hit the next thing and and deliver your code deliver the value and uh you know keep improving yeah, and the last thing I want to say is if I know Ryan, by the time this comes out, I believe you will have presented this talk at Agile Indy in 2015, but I would encourage you to look around, find some open spaces. I guarantee you this is going to be a great talk. This is going to be a great talk. So if you're listening to us, you know, go follow Ryan on Twitter or Ryan at the end of the show will let you share your contact information if people want to follow you. And definitely um, go see Ryan, listen to what he has to say, and uh, I'm sure he'll give you some great advice. So see him in person somewhere. Thanks. I really appreciate that. And now we could go on to do our favorite part of the show, this week's hottest picks. This week's hottest picks. So, Matt, you're up first this week. What are your picks? Tell us about them. So, I've got a couple couple of picks this week. Um, one is uh, from a gentleman named Dan McKinley. Um, I don't know that I entirely agree with this pick, but it was it was thought provoking for me. He's essentially uh, it's an article about choosing boring technology. Uh, the idea that we only have so much um, innovation uh, bank uh, currency banked away, and we have to choose smartly, right? If we're uh, we're adding a new uh, a, a new small feature, that doesn't mean to throw away SQL and bring in MongoDB because it's the new awesome NoSQL database, right? And just kind of balancing those those thoughts together. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I have uh, one that was was shared with me recently, uh, the thirty percent feedback, which I think fits actually pretty well into the the discussions of the Scrum Master and how to evolve through the different stages of badness there, and really matching up giving feedback and and receiving feedback with with the, the mindset of the person who's giving it or receiving it to you, who you're interacting with. Um, really that, uh, as, as Ryan mentioned that, can I, can I help you uh, versus a uh, here's the things that are wrong um, kind of approach. And lastly, a little more technical from the technical leadership side, um, just a, a, a short little article reminding us of the dangers of copy and paste. It's always, it's, it's always fun to find that county code and it doesn't hurt to be reminded of the specifics of why it's bad. So those are mine. Cool. Thanks so much. And, um, okay. Now Lee's up next and Lee, Lee has got a very controversial pick. Tell us about it. Lee. A controversial. This isn't a controversial pick. This is how to build a safe with Legos. And this is not one of Jason's games. It really is it's a video. It's really how to build the scaled an Agile safe. framework with Lego. Yeah, you wish. This this is a real safe that you put stuff in like money 
but it's cool looking out of Legos. And I was a Lego maniac when I was a kid, so it caught my attention. And I thought it was very cool. Okay, so there's a, there's a link out there for it. In the, I guess in the show. I, I have a bonus pick, which is I have a, how to build a how to build a safe simulation out of Legos. Okay, <laughs> okay, decide. So I got a few. Um, so Ryan is doing his event at Agile Indie in April 2015. So Ryan, I'm sure I'll have a great time there. Um, we're doing an open space here in St. Louis in April 2015. So um, thanks for everyone who came out. It was going to be awesome. This is, of course, the podcast we record before the event occurs, but I know it's going to be awesome. So we're going to do it again. I guarantee it because we've had a lot of interest. So uh, look for that sometime um, in 2015 or beyond and join us for an open space. So I wrote a blog recently about simple team metrics to assess improvements. I'll put the link in the show notes. Go read it. Lee, go read it. And then we'll talk about what I had to say. I want to share that um, we had an opportunity to do some collaboration recently with Rally in St. Louis. So Rally inspired some of the ideas in the, in the blog post. So um, Lee's going to read it as well as all of you, I hope. And then we can talk about it on a future episode. And last but not least, I got a live event coming up in the middle of Missouri in Columbia. Uh, we're going to do the Last Responsible Moment Lego game in on April 28th, 2015. It's organized by the Mid-Missouri uh, Agile Coffee Club. It's got a cool name. And so come on out. It's uh, in a bright smack dab between St. Louis and Kansas City. We'll put a link if you want to get some info and join us in the show notes. Free event. So hopefully we'll see you in late April um, at that fun event in Mid-Missouri. So last but certainly not least, Ryan, it, give us some picks and... Um, Tell us about yourself and uh, good stuff. Yeah, so I've got just a couple picks. Uh, I really enjoyed this Agile Life episode 76. Uh, I'm a big fan of Woody Zool, and uh, I just think that uh, even if you don't like no estimates or mob programming, just the fact that he wants to experiment and challenge everything, just such an excellent message for everyone that's doing Agile, and I thought you guys did a great job. Uh, facilitating that conversation with them. So that's my first pick. Second pick is going to be Agile Indie Conference 2015. You know, got to got to support the hometown conference. And it's a, I think it is the top conference in Indiana uh, as far as Agile conferences go in our state. Uh, Agileindy.org is a site. Check it out. A lot of great speakers. I think uh, Mike Kottmeyer is the keynote this year. Should be an excellent event. Um, as far as contacting me, if you're interested in this topic, I am speaking at Agile Indy. I'll have slides and notes from that talk up at agileanswerman.com where I blog. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Ryan Ripley and uh, would love to hear any feedback you guys have on this topic. Or if you want to continue the conversation, you know, feel free to hit me on Twitter or at the website. And at that point, guess what, everyone? It's time to ship. So we're going to package it all. We're going to demo it to our product owner. We're going to wrap it up and we're going to deploy it to production. So that is all the time we have for on this episode of This Agile Life. And so I want to thank our special guest, Ryan Ripley, who you can check out. Um, he gave his information. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, Ryan. We'll hope to have you back. For the rest of us, we're around all the time. So we thank you for listening. We thank you for investing your time to learn from us. And most importantly, we would value your feedback. So look us up on Twitter or send us an email and um, uh, you can get our information from thisagilelife.com and uh, again check out the show notes and we look forward to giving you more insights on a future episode of This Agile Life This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community 